Looks like some of you know there's a game this afternoon or tonight. Uh, in fact, it must be big enough that Patrick Mahomes went to church. And uh, they were reading from 1 Timothy uh, 1.15, and it, Paul is, is writing to, uh, first, to Timothy, and he said, you know, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, whom I am chief. And Patrick stood up and said, no, I am chiefs. Some of you will get it later, some of you are groaning, but I just want you to know that I think that was pretty good. Just saying, just saying. So, all right, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for who you are, God. You are the reason we are here, literally, Father. You're the reason we exist, the reason we breathe, and you give us free choice, Father. So we just pray that your Holy Spirit is active and uh, involved in the service today. If I say anything that's not from you, Father, I pray it is forgotten by the time that we exit this building and only your word and you saturate us and change us that we might lead a life that is different this week. For your glory, in the name of Christ, amen. Amen. So last week we started uh, a five-week series while Pastor Nate is gone. I'm doing number two today and then... uh, Scott Domont will be here next two weeks, and then Phil, our new executive pastor, will wrap us up in the fifth week, and then uh, Pastor Nate will be back. So when we talk about the five solas, it's just kind of this Reformed theology based on the Protestant Reformation. It kind of just gives guidance to who we are, what we believe, and how we live. It's kind of, um, so if you remember last week, we did Scripture alone. So hopefully, over the past week, uh, you did more than Take a bath uh, one drip at a time, or take a shower one drip at a time. We talked a little bit about that last week. The need to consume Scripture, the need to be in it, uh, to meditate on it, to think about it, to be changed by it. And it really is, the battle is up here. And so you need to think about what you take in. Today we're going to do in Christ alone, but if you look at the five solas by Scripture alone, that is our authority. By faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, for His glory alone. So that kind of, again, gives us the parameters for our Protestant theology. Last week we talked about the fact that the Word maintains that the Bible is the highest source of authority in a Christian's life. The final court of appeal. Not the only authority. We still have to submit to government and to school officials, to others, uh, until it, again, bumps up against Scripture because that is our ultimate authority. God says we will not uh, disobey Scripture, that that is the final authority in our life. Solus Christus is what we're going to look at today in Christ alone, the exclusivity of Jesus. The exclusivity of Jesus. You know, I was talking to uh, Nathan this morning and saying that I didn't think anybody could ever approach what Tom Brady has done in the NFL. But then I was kind of pausing. I'm like, wait a second. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is going to be the fourth time he's been there already. And he's still pretty young. And I'm not saying he's going to go there. But there is an exclusivity that I've always given to Tom Brady as the greatest quarterback, and I didn't like him for years. But I can't argue the fact that a guy who's been there 10 times and won the number of times he has, that's pretty exclusive, right? He is in a class of one. Well, in essence, that's what we're talking about, Christ. He is in a class of one. And he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. 
John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So this word the has meaning, right? You use it in maybe 100 times a day, maybe 500 times a day, but it really does have meaning, the. It talks about individual. It really is looking at, well, we're not going to go there defining on what uh, words are, but the. It's a determiner used before nouns to refer to particular things or people that have already been talked about or already known or in a situation where it is clear what is happening. The. Uh, Why did Ohio State, OSU, become the Ohio State University? Anybody know? It's because their football players kept getting confused. They didn't know if OSU was Oklahoma State, Oregon State, or Ohio State. So when they spelled it out for their football players, they didn't get confused so often. At least that's my understanding. So, we'll see. We talk about the way. We know Frank Sinatra liked to do it what way? His way, right? And it makes for a catchy song and it sounds good. But what happens when we do it our way? Usually good things don't happen. So my wife and I have been married a couple years and we were uh, living in Los Angeles. My parents came out and we were going to San Francisco. Uh, I don't know whether that was just to visit my cousins or whether she was getting married. And so we took a trip and Route 1, we had plenty of time. Route 1 literally goes along the coast, and it's gorgeous. It is beautiful, the scenery right on the ocean. And uh, so we're driving up Route 1, and we go by this road closed, 65 miles ahead sign. 65 miles. I'm like, there's got to be ways around that. But it had detour here. But 65 miles ahead, the road is closed. I'm like, yeah, right. So we keep driving. I keep driving. And uh, 60 miles later, the road's closed. And there's no bypass. There's no shortcuts. have to turn around and go all the way back, all the way back to uh, 60 miles ago and take an hour and a half detour inland to get to the highway that takes us north. Because when they say the road is closed, it really is closed. And so when they say there is a way, and you can try to do it your way, but usually there is the way. Not all roads lead to the same place. Pretty popular comment, though, when you talk to people uh, outside of the faith, and sometimes even people in the church who are coming because their wives or their husbands want them to come, their parents make them come, but in the back of their mind, they're thinking all roads go to the same place. And you're accurate in about 98% of the time. All roads end up leading to hell. But there is one way and one road that leads to eternal life, and that's Jesus Christ. So when we're doing the solas, we say, where is our authority? Scripture, right? Last week, hopefully, we laid a foundation for looking at Scripture as inerrant communication from God that we can trust, we can believe, there is no error in it. It is the truth. And so when he says, I am the way, the life, and the truth, no man comes to the Father but by me, is there other Scripture that backs it up? A little Bible study tool online looks at the way. I am the way. Christ is not merely a prophet. He's not merely pointing out the way of salvation, but is the way of salvation itself by his obedience and sacrifice. Nor is there any other way. He is the way of his Father's appointing. 
which is entirely agreeable to the perfections of God and suitable to the case and condition of sinners. He is the way of all the blessings of the covenant of grace. He is the right way into a gospel church. No one comes rightly into a church of Christ, but by faith in him. And he is the way to heaven. He has entered into it by himself, by his own blood, and has opened up the way to it through himself for his people. That's a lot of words. What is he saying? I love the one part in that first slide about obedience. He is the way of salvation itself by his obedience and sacrifice. If somebody asks you, are you going to heaven? And you, say, and you say yes, and they say why. And you say anything, but because Jesus Christ shed his blood for me, it's not an accurate biblical answer. Because Jesus Christ shed his blood for me so that I don't have to die for my sins and be separated eternally from God. You are saved only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and by accepting that gift from him. And it was through his obedience. He could have gotten off the cross at any point in time. He could have avoided having thorns driven into his head, having flesh ripped off his back, having a spear poked into his side, nails driven into his hands and feet. He could have ended that at any second he wanted to. But he chose obedience to the Father so that we can have the opportunity to have forgiveness. He is the way of salvation itself by his obedience and sacrifice. There is no other way. If there were any other way to heaven, then God is cruel. Right? Why would somebody do that to their own son if there was another way? And we still look for other ways, but there is no other way, and Scripture makes that clear. If it is our authority, which we believe, then Scripture makes that clear. The truth. I am the way. There's no other way. The truth. This idea of the singular. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. Stay true to your heart. Those statements are right from hell. If people stayed true to their hearts, nobody would stay married. Nobody would care about other people unless they got something for it, right? What is the heart? The heart is deceitfully good. Deceitfully wicked above some things, above all things. Your heart is not good. Kids are not born with a good heart. They are born to two sinful parents. And there might be an age of accountability, and, and that is healthy. But there comes a point in time where every kid tests their own will. How many parents had to teach their kids how to make a fist? Did any of you have to say, hey, I know you took the cookie, but here's what you do. You tell me a lie. What you do is say you didn't eat the cookie, and then maybe you won't get in trouble. Any parents teach their kids how to do that? No, they do that pretty naturally on their own, right? Naturally, they, they figure out how to lie, how to take shortcuts, how to get things they want, and it's typically not taught by the parents. There is a truth, and it's not in your heart unless Christ is there. Unless the Holy Spirit is in there, there is no truth in your heart. 
70 times Jesus is quoted as having said, I tell you the truth. The word amen means I agree it is true. The fact that Jesus said it so many times means that not only was he concerned with the truth, but he wanted to communicate that what he had to say was true and truth. John 18, 37, you are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, retorted Pilate. So this idea of questioning truth is not new in the last hundred years. It's not a result of the enlightenment. Uh, this idea of questioning truth has always been there because we like to justify our sin. We like to be like Frank Sinatra and do it our way. But there is a, there is a testimony in creation that says you're doing it the wrong way. But we like to do it our way, so we question truth. Well, that doesn't really matter. That's not really accurate. I can do it my way and justify it. But Jesus said there is a, a truth. I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. And up till then, we had the law, right? What did the law do? It showed us that we could not earn our way into heaven. We could not be perfect. That there needed to be a sacrifice more than obedience to the law, which we could not do perfectly. It prepared us for that. He is not only true, but truth itself. This may, re this may regard his person and character. He is the true God, eternal life, truly and really man. As a prophet, he taught the way of God in truth. As a priest, he is faithful as well as merciful, true and faithful to him that appointed him, and as king, just and true are all his ways and administrations. He is the sum and substance of all the truths of the gospel. He is the truth. If you don't study the life of Christ as a Christ follower, you're probably not going to follow closely. Which gets back to last week, talking about the importance of Scripture. Let me say that again. If you don't study the life of Christ, it's pretty hard to walk closely with Christ. And the way, the truth, and the life. The word life is mentioned 450 times. Um, all I can see is the scene from Princess Bride. Mostly dead. Not quite all dead. Um, but life. What does it mean, this life? That there's a heartbeat, that there is... Uh, something more. And we can talk about eternal life, but life is mentioned 450 times in Scripture. Colossians 1, we read, Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, in Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. The image of the invisible, the firstborn of all creation. And because he is the one who made us and this world, science is real. Many times people will say, well, I believe in science. Well, great, so do I. There's a reason that every time you put two molecules of hydrogen together with a molecule of oxygen, every single time you get water. Every time, 
Because God created the world in a systematic and orderly way. Not that he can't intervene in supernatural ways, but he created it so that doctors can do operations. That generally the heart is in the same place in every person's body, has the same number of ventricles and caverns and all those things are the same in every person. Right? That the lungs are generally in the same place and work in the same way in every single person. Uh, and so we can trust science. And doctors can help us. Right? And Jesus can heal us any way he wants. But science is real. <coughs> Excuse me. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything, in Christ alone. Is he in everything in your life? Is he in your mealtime? Remember, he gave us taste buds, right? So we can enjoy good food and tell the difference between sodas and water and milk and drinks. Sweet, salt, uh, sour, and pain. The only four receptors, but we can tell the difference. He is the first place in everything. He gave some people really good hand-eye, hand-foot coordination, didn't he? He gave others a big body. He is first place in sports, what he wants to be. And we can hijack that, right, and say, when we talk about Christ alone, we can say, well, Christ and sports, or Christ and food, or Christ and um, stuff, Christ and a better job. But he says in Scripture, Christ alone. And he can be part of every one of those things. But when we make them God, we get in trouble. Sports is great, but it's not God. It will disappoint you. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. This goes back to how you are saved. It is only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and no other way. Having made peace because there was enmity, there was distance, there was animosity between God and us without the blood of Christ. Because of that animosity, there had to be punishment. There had to be punishment. And Jesus Christ took it for us. Christ is the author and giver of life, natural, spiritual, and eternal. He is the way of life, or the living way, in opposition to the law, the Ten Commandments and other things that we read about before the New Testament, uh, in opposition to the law which we could not keep, which was so far from being the way of life that it was the administration of condemnation and death. Jesus always and ever will be the way, all in this way, uh, living, none ever die. Eternal life. It is a way that leads to eternal life. Christ is the true way to eternal life. There is no other way. There's only one. And I can't say it enough because that is the point of this day. Solus Christus. In Christ alone, there is no other way. What are you putting your hope in? Your kids? Well, if they grow up and we have a good relationship with them, then I'll be okay. Your job? Well, if I get that raise, then I'll be okay. A different house, new stuff. Where are you putting your hope? Any other place than Christ, you will be hurting. 
Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else. No other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We will not be saved in this year's election. Doesn't matter who wins. Salvation will not come in who wins the election. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. <coughs> now, I love that contrast there because it implies whoever believes in the Son obeys the Son, right? It doesn't say that. It says whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Can you believe in God and not obey him? Well, if you've been reading Scripture, what does James say? It says, great, you believe in Jesus. Big deal. Even Satan believes in him. And that doesn't make Satan a Christian, right? Even Satan believes. Satan saw him raised from the dead. He believes that Jesus is the Son of God and raised from the dead, and it doesn't make him a Christian. So what's the difference? He seems to indicate that there is a faith that leads to obedience and growth. And again, not perfection. We know that. But when you believe, it leads to wanting to know Him and wanting to obey Him. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. And it's not a guilt thing. It's just a fact. It's just a fact. There is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Your good works are not the mediator. Your good works are not the mediator. If you think you've done more good than bad, first, you're probably wrong. But second, if somehow you did, it's still not enough. There is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, men, the man Christ Jesus, who shed his blood that you might be saved. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So again, how are you arranging your life? Are you arranging it on Scripture? Are you using Scripture to get to know Christ, to get to know uh, God's expectations, the history of man, why the law and doing good works is not enough? Have you read the story of Christ's activity from Genesis up through Matthew, you understand that good works, that obeying the law is not enough, and that people were left hanging because they saw they couldn't do it all until Christ came. Because we believe in Scripture, because we believe in Christ, uh, we are going to obey Scripture and take communion today. Um, and so it is what is communion really? It is for believers. Anybody who has accepted Christ as their Savior, as their Lord and Savior, it doesn't matter whether you're a member of this church or not, it doesn't matter where you attend, if you don't attend some other place, if you're here today 
and you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and you've accepted that, you are welcome to take communion. It is not for unbelievers. And it is also not for believers who need to go and make amends in relationships. It says that in Scripture. Let it pass. If you know that there is a broken relationship in your life and you have never went to them and said, I need to ask your forgiveness or I need to, to work on healing this, just let it pass. It says put it down and go and make amends today if you can. Um, just let it pass. And so it is really a celebration, again, of a really ugly thing, the cross, right? His body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. But we do this in remembrance of him. And as the song is playing, as the elements are being passed out, it is a great time to reflect. What has he saved you from? To reflect on what he did for you. To remember and to anticipate his return because we take communion to remember that he will return one day. Maybe in our lifetime, maybe not. But he will return. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you that uh, you are God, that you are our healer, that you are the one who forgives, you are the one who satisfies. Lord, we thank you that you did not leave it up to us, but you even shared the word through the Bible to tell us what to do, how to live, Father. And so, God, we just praise you that we can take communion together, that we can contemplate, we can meditate on, think about uh, your body, flesh being ripped off of it, nails being driven through your hands and feet, thorns digging into your scalp, Father. So we can meditate on this and think about this because you wanted a relationship with us. You wanted to offer forgiveness to us. So we thank you, Father, in the name of Christ our Savior, Christ our Lord, Christ our healer, and Christ our returning King. Amen.